Can you see how your thoughts and emotions influence how you act, which influences your results and what happens to you? Can you see the magic of life? Do you feel connected to life or separate and distanced from it? Can you see that at the deepest level, life is a complete mystery? In this episode, we're going to talk about magical thinking and how to skillfully integrate it into our lives. So welcome to The Great Updraft. I'm Ross. We talk about profound personal development every week. You can find me on all the major podcasting platforms out there, or you can head to thegreatupdraft.com, which is visited by thousands every month, to get tons of free resources. And you can follow the link in the description for my accompanying article on magical thinking. So as I said, we're talking about magical thinking today. And as we'll see, though it has profound limitations, I want to explore how to integrate it into our adult life. And first of all, we better understand what magical thinking really is before we try and understand how we can integrate it. So what is magical thinking? Historically, human beings went through the magic phase, as it's called, and this is associated with tribes and small foraging societies. So you can think of it in one sense, like a level, a level of collective human development. It was actually our home for thousands of years, and it still persists in small pockets of the world in the 21st century, in tribes and so on, although less and less as time goes on. And more immediately relevant for you is the fact that you went through the magic phase. It's a well-documented stage of child development where basically this is when we first develop imagination, intentionality, language. We gain a measure of independence after being helpless newborns. It comes online about 18 months. And this is when we start to explore the world, to pick things up, to look at them, to eat them, smell them try and understand how the world works, given these new capacities and our imagination. And you can see this in children when they, they sort of, they don't understand basic cause and effect or the limitations, the limitations of the world that we're in. So for example, they'll dress up as animals and they believe that they literally become the animal if they dress up as the animal. You can also think the same about superheroes. They put on a cape and they can fly magically like a superhero. They also believe that fictional characters are real. So Santa Claus, the Tooth Fairy, their favourite cartoon character. These characters are literally real and they can literally do everything that they're supposed to be able to do. So they think that superheroes can fly, they can travel through walls, they can perform supernatural feats and so on. This is a basic confusion of imagination and creativity with reality, with the actual limitations of physical reality. And if you think historically, this kind of thinking leads to rituals and ceremonies designed to influence life in our favor. So for example, the rain dance, we do a dance because we need, uh, we need it to rain. It's not rained in a month. So let's do a rain dance and that's going to make it start raining. Or we we need something to go our tribe's way. So what we're going to do is perform a sacrifice. Sometimes this was human sacrifice. Often it was animal sacrifice. 
but often human sacrifice too. And that will somehow swing the gods' favor, um, the the gods' the gods' choices in our favor, and the gods will be appeased. And another thing that happens at magical thinking is that we ascribe human characteristics to the world around us, and we sort of confuse the two. So if there's a storm, it means that the sky is angry, and that we must have done something to to make it angry because. Uh, we are sort of magically interconnected with it. Or if the volcano erupts, then we've ha- that's happened because of something we've done. Or if this, the sun is shining, it means that uh, we magically brought that about and the sun is happy, for example. And you'll see in all of this, and this is a key to look for in magical thinking, whether it appears in children or in a tribal situation or in in, in adults is this magical interconnectedness like cause and effect doesn't really seems to be doesn't exist basically in the way that say an adult would understand it to exist and the source of the cell the source of the magic is ourselves like we can imagine something happening and it will happen we can click our fingers and <laughs> the room will be tidy for example or we can we can wave our wand and all of a sudden, you know, our, our enemies are banished. This is literally the world of magical thinking. This is what it is. And basically under all of this is the idea that an action that I do will make the world change in the way that I want it to in a magical interconnected way. So what are the limits of magical thinking? Before we look at its, its gems and its good sides and how we can actually integrate the 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 level of magic in ourselves is we first really need to think about the basic limitations and why they are limitations and don't confuse this with a healthy integration we're trying to just look at the very basic limits so we can actually then after seeing that healthfully integrate it because i think a lot of people go wrong here you have to realize that although it's a stage of human development it's, and it's one we all go through, it's also something we transcend. It's something that we go beyond. And actually adults centered that magic who, who haven't gone beyond the magic stage, they can't look after themselves. They're dependents. And basically it's because they can't manage life. They can't, they can't look after themselves. They don't understand cause and effect very well. They, they, they're impulsive, they're they're essentially egocentric in the sense that they see the world as an extension of them and that things don't have their own separate reality. And so we need to bear that in mind before we start talking about <laughs> how to integrate it. One, one thing we need to realize about magical thinking, especially as it appears in children, is that basically the child is just discovering for the very first time that you can think back yourself and try to remember something about this magical phase you might fall short but in a very basic way the child is just discovering intentionality imagination the idea that something i can do changes something in the external world um before that the child is really just helpless helpless it has no intentionality it has no uh, the ability to think of something and then to do it in a very basic way because 
uh, and it, it doesn't even have the physical ability to do that. Like if a child, even if a child had the idea to pick up a cup at a certain age, it literally can't do that. It doesn't have the motor skills necessary. And so at the magic phase, we're really just starting to discover all this, the the intentionality, the the idea that I can take a certain action, that I can, that my body allows me to navigate the world. And, but the child hasn't experimented enough with these capacities to realize their limitations. So the child, and this is very well known in psychology, the child feels omnipotent at this stage. It's because it's, it's got this sense of, you know, a certain sense of independence. It can walk, it can pick things up, it can imagine things, but it's not put it into, it's not put to the test for long enough to realize that actually because I have imagination and intentionality and certain physical abilities, it doesn't mean I can do anything. It, it just means that I have those abilities in a world that has limits. And later on in child development, you can see that the child realizes its own limitations and uh, it helpfully integrates those limitations. We have to also realize that objects and events aren't magically manipulable. So we can't just control the weather by dancing. Now, that seems obvious, but it's also, it's, I've found in, say, in certain personal development or spiritual circles that people want to believe things like this, that because it sounds kind of nice and it sounds kind of spiritual, but actually it's not. It's a very basic form of thinking that it has very clear limitations. You can't control the weather just by dancing. And actually all tribal cultures eventually moved on from this and became, first of all, mythic and then rational. But the reason for that is because it simply doesn't work. You can't control the weather just by dancing. You can't ward off a bad, bad har harvest just by worshipping the right God or doing the right ceremony or sacrificing the right animal. The, the magic mind doesn't understand these things. It literally, it thinks that because of this sense of omnipotence, omnipotence it 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 just doesn't understand the limit of human action and the limit of human imagination and that reality has a mind of its own in in a certain sense and these are the very basic limitations that we need to remember before we talk about how to healthfully healthfully integrate magic let's think let's just get clear some key distinctions here between magical and a more spiritual orientation or a more psychological orientation towards life. One is that life is interconnected, yes, but it's not magically interconnected. So it's not just one big soup where everything is interchangeable and we can just create things and alter things just by imagining them or just by clicking our fingers and so on. It, life just simply doesn't work like that. Life does respond to us, yes, like the law of attraction people will tell you, <laughs> but it doesn't do that magically. So we can't control life with our imagination. We can't just imagine, you know, a, a check for a million dollars coming through our door and it'll come through our door. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that, uh, no matter how much the manifestation people will tell you. Life is magic, 
Of course, life is absolutely magical, but it's not magic in the sense that the child would like it to be. That, you know, we can just turn into others, we can turn into superheroes, we can turn into other animals, we can um, magically make objects fly through walls and become one another and all this. It's magical, but not in that sense. And yes, life is non-physical and life is an ultimate, in its ultimate nature, life is spiritual and it's ineffable. But this doesn't mean the objective world doesn't have certain structures and laws. The objective world still has laws and we are part of that world. We're subject to those laws as human beings and we can't just magically alter things. So it's key to realize this stuff when we're trying to integrate magical thinking. That said, what should we integrate from magical thinking? What are the sort of gems of wisdom in it that when we combine them with later, you know, more experience in life and higher development uh, uh, as an adult, how can we integrate some of these gems? I guess one thing I would say to you to remember again is that magic is a stage of individual and collective development. So you can think of it as a key piece in the human puzzle. That doesn't mean it doesn't have limitations. Of course it has limitations, but it does have a reason of, it has a reason behind it and it has certain things that we need to take forward. So although we can say with certainty that the world doesn't just conform to our ideas, our beliefs and our thoughts and our emotions, we don't have magical control over absolutely everything that happens to us and that life doesn't magically conspire to us in this sort of egocentric, magical way, magic is still alive and well within us, and it's very healthy, and we can healthfully integrate it. And I guess the first thing I would say about health, healthfully integrating magic as an adult is that by realizing that nothing really is separate from us, sure, we, we don't have magical control we can't turn any desire into reality instantly in this sort of instant impulsive way. But in a very, very real way, and this is something you discover through meditation, contemplative practice, and a lot of introspection, is that the world of emotion and thought and belief and desire isn't really fully inside us. It's a subjective experience. Yes, we have our own subjective world. That is very true. You don't have the subjective world of your partner. You have your own subjective world, yes. But it's not really inside you in that you're like this, this physical case that holds everything. That isn't really the case. On the other hand, the outer world, what we think of as the outer world, I would call it really the objective world, the world that we share, isn't really outside us either. So the inner world isn't really inside uh, in ultimate instance, and the outer world isn't really outside. Actually, if you pay real close attention and you say do meditation practice or any other kind of practice that <laughs> brings this on, you can see that the world and you are sort of interconnected, interactive, multicolored, multidimensional, and it's like this mesh that involves you and the world at the same time. Bearing in mind that not, not magically, but in a more advanced way, that is certainly true. 
we also have to realize that our intentions are very powerful. So the child wants imagination to design reality for them in this instant, like action at a distance kind of way. And the current sort of manifest your reality movement, the manifestation people, they exaggerate it and they fall into magical thinking sometimes, I think, and it gets exploited by people who want to make money, essentially. But it's still based on a fundamental human truth, and that is the truth of basically the self-fulfilling prophecy, the, the, the truth that thought becomes emotion, becomes action, becomes our reality. And that can go on in cycles and cycles and cycles for decades. But this is not an instant thing, nor is it a magical thing. It still has order and it still has limitations. But within the within the uh, everything that we can control as human beings, thought becomes action. Th thought becomes emotion, becomes action, becomes reality over time. And that's something that I think if you're, you want to develop deeply as a human being, you need to realize that otherwise you're not going to realize how much power you, you do have over the things that you do control. And this, I think it recontextualizes the basic premise of magical thinking, which is that imagination bends reality. It takes that sort of childish notion um, and one that isn't true in all circumstances, and it puts it into a very real situation where you can actually see how this happens in your own life for yourself if you pay enough attention. Second of all, magic is, in the magic stage, it's sort of, I like to think of it as when we first awaken to the wonder of life. So until a certain age, when you're a baby, you're not really aware of the, the wonder of life. You're, you're too caught up in your own basic needs. That's not a judgment. It's just a, a fact. Like a baby <laughs> is more concerned with sleeping, eating, um, having the care of the mother, having the mother present. And it's on a kind of unconscious level. The baby's really more of a vegetable than a, a wonder, a child, this amazed child running around. And that's not... I'm not trying to be like a Nazi here, but it's just, it's where we all start as human beings. We start as this little thing that really has no idea what's going on. <laughs> when we reach the magic stage, this sense of wonder comes alive. Uh, and it comes alive in this innocent form. As I said earlier, we've not had the chance to put our intentionality and our desire and imagination to the test of life. Um, but we are filled with this wonder and this desire to go out there and explore. And you can see this in children. And I think as, as adults, you know, we lose this big time and we lose it out of social conformity in a way. And we also lose it because, because of the fact that we go through the magic stage and come out the other side. And we realize that there are laws and there is structure and the world is physical and we're human beings with certain limitations. But this urge for magic, this urge for the magical view to burst through linear 3D reality and um, overcome its limitations, it never really leaves us. And though we can't fly through walls, we can reintegrate it. And a good example of this is technological advance. 
So in a way, technolo technological advance is it's it's magic, but actual it's real magic. I think there's a there's a quote, I can't remember who said this, that any sufficiently advanced technolo technologies is indistinguishable from magic. And and what we're doing with technology is we're basically overcoming our previous limits as a species. And because of that, all technology, especially the most cutting edge technology out there at any given point in time, has this magical flavor to it. Like when we first, when you first used a mobile phone, for example, I bet you in a way felt like a witch or a wizard, like communicating across time instantly with people that you couldn't see that were in a different part of the country, even a different part of the world, even. And this video is an example of that. I'm recording this in the UK and you can watch this wherever you are, whatever time of day on the other side of the world. And somehow these images and sounds are recorded somewhere and they're put together for you to access wherever you want. And I know that there's a scientific explanation for all this. I don't know what it is. I don't know how this happens, but the magical perspective invites us to forget about that. Stop um, interpreting life through our lens and through our knowledge and through our categorizing and so on and just see the magic that is there and the 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 wonder that this inspires in us like little children because that's always there for us and it's a practice to keep getting in touch with that everything has this magical flavor to it and no matter how much scientific evidence we have and how much we can describe things and explain them with science and the logic behind them and how it works, it will never cover up this basic aspect of life. You can see this in nature and technology, in in your family, in your own life, in your day-to-day -day life. You can see this magic. And I think if we're very honest with ourselves, when we when we really think about it, we might know how to operate life. We might have a, a job, we might have a business, we might be doing very well in life and we might have a lot of knowledge. But I think when we take it back to the very, the bare bones of what life really is and we, ask, we start asking questions like, why is life here? What really is it? What's it made of? How did life come to be? And we just sit with those questions. We don't come up with scientific answers or religious answers or other answers. In essence, we actually do not know the answer to these questions. And that's why they fascinate us so much. It's also why they scare us so much. Life in essence is one giant magical mystery. And to me, this is the ultimate realization and reintegration of the magical mind.